It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am currently joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hi. Hi, Dave. Hi. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, it's snowing a lot around here. I don't know what it's like around your way, but it's uh, it's beautiful. We've had Cheshire a fair countryside. Bit. We've had a fair bit, but like, I mean, having lived in Montreal for a year, I'm now forever going to be for the rest of my life the boar who's like, this isn't this isn't snow. This is dandruff. It's dandruff. <laughs> Montreal, the snow. You didn't even notice this. You'd be sunbathing in this. It's but it's amazing how quickly your body. Just like after Montreal, I thought I would never be cold in Britain again because I yeah. I got used like minus ten didn't feel particularly cold by the end of that in Montreal. But now, Jesus. like really quickly, I'm just like if it's, if it's ten Celsius outside, I'm still in my massive North Face coat. <laughs> I remember yeah. when I was I don't know if maybe I'm painting it to Kensian portrait of my childhood but i remember the winters were were bitterly cold but we would still go off and um we had a tradition where we'd run into the the north sea uh the the sound of like the 12 bells or new years you know strip off run into the north sea just something to do because you know it's a quiet village not much else going on but now i i thought i would be accustomed to the the cold like you're saying with montreal but Jesus, the heating is permanently on. It's permanently on in this house because it's so friggin' cold. I always forget you grew up in the 16th century. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Paul, you all right? I'm good, yeah, not too bad. I'm getting flashbacks to the North Sea from Dave because we would go on holiday to Scarborough every year for about 10 years in a row. And there's there's a level of cold you don't get from any other sea apart from the North Sea. What? That's just giving me a memory. My dad, when I was about eight, my dad decided to buy a, a little sailing dinghy. Like, not one without, because my dad liked sailing when he was a kid, right? So he bought a sailing dinghy. And we lived in Newcastle at the time. Like, so that's like no cabin on it or anything. It's like 
a sailing boat, but very small and open to the elements. And he decided to buy one, and we would do it like on a Tuesday night in Newcastle. We'd go down to Tynemouth. We'd have our dinner after school in November, and he'd be like going, right, you need, before we go on a boat, you need to know the the lingo. So, Jib, when I say Jib, <laughs> you've got to duck, you know, do all of this stuff. <laughs> in the North Sea in November on a weeknight. Yeah, I think the only the only word you need to know for the North Sea in November is fuck. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pure victims of my dad's midlife crisis at that point. Um, so let's talk about football. Uh, there's one football club who's, for the last 18 months, been the victim of somebody else's midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Strong segue. <laughs> that is uh, Newcastle United Football Club. Uh Let's talk about our most recent match. It was against Southampton. It was on Saturday afternoon, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did you, Dave? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. It was an enjoyable game. There was plenty going on. For the neutral, it will have been thrilling. For the Newcastle fan, it was, for about half an hour, nerve-tinglingly terrifying. Um which is silly because, you know, you step away from it and we're pretty much safe because of everything else that's going in the league. But it just felt like to be where we were for that for, in that game, for it to then become at, in jeopardy was, was, it was insane. It was really enjoyable watch though. Should have gone to Paul first to be more jolly. Paul? <laughs> yeah. I think what... Even if we'd drawn or lost that game, the way it played out, it was like it was tense, and you sort of I found myself standing up a lot. Just you know, mm. you find yourself like pacing around like a crab because you don't know whether to sit or stand. And we've not had that for quite a long time until lately, and I'm really enjoying that being back. I sort of realized this is teams of other football clubs have had this during lockdown. It feels like since the start of the pandemic, we've just been average at best and there's been no excitement. And recently it's, it's almost insulting having that back and being like, Oh, we've, we've just been denied this for so long, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was, I, really, it was, I thought we got two different football matches from it, both of which were enjoyable in different ways. And both of which were kind of good performances. You got the, the first half was a continuation of what has been an improvement in our style of play and positivity. And it was great. Some good goals, a debut from Joe Willett, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute that went really well. And then and you had in the second half, we got ourselves into a situation courtesy of Jeff Hendrick, who for a, a stupid half hour I sort of thought was hard done by it until I saw a proper replay of it and the context of it. And no, it was a definite yellow card and it was really idiotic to do it in that moment. So we got put into a situation by uh, Jeff Hendrick and then we were very unlucky with what happened to Fabian Shah towards the end. But it was still a, but the players who remained on the pitch, I thought it was a really sort of gutsy performance and it, it just, as a, as a fan, it, it engages you, right? It, that's, that's why you're on the edge of the seat, because it feels like, yes, 
Southampton could have scored, and and I wouldn't have, you know, been angry about that. You know, that could have happened. There was, but when that uh, when it went off the post from Ings and straight back into Darlow's hand, I thought sort of thought, well, maybe this is our day. It had yeah. shades of those performances in the season when we finished fifth, when they were like there were mm. really hairy moments of goal line clearances, but at the end you you get that feeling that again we've not had for a while of like I really like these players. Yeah, Do you think we're well, finish was, uh, <laughs> yeah, <not> definitely. <laughs> at least I was going to say that um, what Paul touched on there is like the the way that the game panned out. It, I cared about it for the first time in ages. I genuinely was edge of the seat, desperate for us to to get across there, and the, the lads put the shift in. And I thought that it was it genuinely it confounded my my belief that they didn't care because up until recently they just didn't look like they gave a shit. In a lot of games, a lot of games seemed to just pass the entire team by. But that game for those. Um, eight outfield players and the keeper to, to hold on for so long with not just two men down, but like a really key centre half. And then we, I don't think we had a centre, like a, a, a specialist centre half in the right position for the final, what, 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. It was, it was an incredible performance by Hayden. Jesus, that, that boy just, he, he, I love him. I absolutely love him. It is crazy. Every time we think we know who our best centre-back is, another one comes along. But now we've run out of centre-backs to be our best centre-backs, so the midfielders are getting in on it. Soon Callum Wilson is going to be our like best centre-back. I thought, well, I, Hayden, I, I thought Hayden was all right. I feel like Hayden gets a sort of become the poster boy for... He's, people like him because he has when others haven't looks like uh he cares and has put in a lot of effort but I, I mean the defender who stood out for me was Paul Dummett coming back yeah I, he was great I thought yeah he was, he was yeah unbelievable performance. um I think the other uh, thing with Hayden as well is he did give away the slightly needless free kick for their goal but it's, yeah. it's more towards the end when we were hanging on and you think you're a central midfielder playing at centre-back and doing a pretty damn good job. I wouldn't worry mm. about Hayden and Dummett being a centre-back pairing. No, if, also, certainly under those circumstances, yeah. Mm. Go on. Also, where he gave away the free kick, yes, it was a silly foul, but where he gave away the free kick, it was against like against another team, a team without James Ward-Prowse in it. That, that area, I would have fancied... Darlow to set the wall up or the keeper to have missed it, uh, the, the the opponent player to have missed it. But James Ward Prowse is just a phenomenal set piece. Yeah, but you think you'd prepare for that as well. Like, if anyone's yeah. playing Southampton, you think don't concede any free kicks close yeah. to the edge of the box. So we should like, probably talk about the first half a bit. I mean, it's, it's mm. the second half that sticks in the mind because it was so insane. And according to Steve Bruce, we played 25 minutes with nine men. Um, which is not true because it was 15. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, we played, we played a full game with nine men. Um, uh, but in the first half, we went in at the break. We scored three goals in the first half for the first time since... 2015? Like the 19th century, I think. It was like... <laughs> 
The worrying thing about that stat, though, is it's the first time since we did it against Norwich under Steve McLaren when we got relegated. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I remember feeling incredibly positive about us uh, after that game. But um, the first big moment was Joe Willock getting a goal. Apparently it's the fastest goal ever by a Newcastle debutant in the Premier League. Um, the story goes, I'm sure we've all heard it by now, but apparently he had told St. Maximin, uh, when you get in those sort of situations, cut it back, I'll be there. And he lived up to his promise. Mm-hmm. Brilliant play by St. Maximin and lovely mm-hmm. to have a midfielder uh, where he should be in those situations doing a Rob Lee, right, Paul? Yeah, I think when we've said a lot recently about the long staffs and other central midfielders, like we've we've got a lot of central midfielders, but what is it we're missing? And we saw in 90 minutes exactly what we've been missing. It is that sort of box-to-box midfielder. The goal was impressive enough, but he should have had two assists as well. It was like Wilson with a really good chance and that Shelby miss, both passes from Willock. And mm. as good as Matty Longstaff and Sean Longstaff have looked in phases, I don't think they've had a 90 minutes that good over the course of any two or three games put together. I think, I think, he, I think, Matt, I think Matty Longstaff has had a 90-minute game where he's looked really good but not in a not in a creative um, threat to the opposition way, more in a like combative, hard working way where you come away thinking, oh, he's put in a shift. That's impressive. But like yeah. you say, Willick's it's his first game, and we don't know if he can recreate this again. It might have just been the the excitement of the debut or whatever. But he looked really good and like you're saying it was 90 minutes full of energy full of running um tackling wasn't great but he's just putting opposition uh, the opponents under pressure and this is the same southampton team that comfortably beat us you know this season and we we were we were the better better team in both halves even though we were down to like nine men for the final Hour, if you believe Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the final. Well, no. To be fair to Bruce, he said we had nine men for the last half hour. We we had at least nine men. So he's not he's not lying. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I think um, with Willock as well. I can't think of a better debut since maybe Musa Sissoko against Chelsea. I think it it was that. Well, another midfielder point. who made a great debut for us was John Joe Shelby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who I just I. It was never mentioned. I, I There was one pass that John Joe Shelby played in the first half. He was by no means our, our most impressive midfield, midfielder of that game. But in the first half, he played a sort of left-footed cross-field pass. It was just... It was Kakar-esque. It was stunning. He does was, have that in him. And it's nice... It's nice seeing him as one of three central midfielders so we're not relying on him to do the donkey work. I think that's the most secure you can feel with Shelby in a team. But the other side of Shelby was that miss where he just sort of lazily swatted at it. Yeah. I also, in the in the dying embers of the game, I don't think he was putting in the same kind of effort as the, the other players. Um, I think that Shelby... 
Shelby in the first half was was great. He was picking the balls around and, like you say, some some wonderful passes. But I still, I'd still rather have somebody else in the team ahead of him. Here's a, uh, I don't disagree with that. Here's a theory about Shelby. If I was making the case for the defence as to why he always looks quite lazy, maybe he's one of them players who just sort of feels that he is able to showcase his talent best when he is relaxed. Mm. He feels that he sort of has to be relaxed and therefore, I mean, that's not an excuse for not running, but like for that finish, (laughs) things like that, he just sort of, he's sort of trying to be relaxed, but when he's not confident, it all kind of falls down. But like that works with Dimitar Berbatov was a good example of that. Yeah but he would finish them as well. Yeah. My, my theory of Shelby is maybe he's working nights and is just possible. tired. Yeah. Maybe he's one of the, um, one of our heroes, frontline workers. Yeah. Um, so, what, amazingly, we've gone this far talking about the Southampton game and not mentioned Almiron. Oh. Uh, great game playing in a new position. Does anyone want to describe what it is he's doing now? Well, he didn't he start, he sort, of, he sort of changed a bit when Wilson went off, didn't he? And kind of became the central striker or have I? Yes. But before that, in the first half, he, and in the last couple of games before that, he's playing as well as he's ever played for us. Right. And he's sort of playing number 10. He's basically being played in the position that we said that would get the most out of him, whereas that like number 10 role, that um, playing just off a striker, um, in this case, um, what it looks like is they've got uh, St. Maximum and Wilson up front and then uh, Almiron behind them, what it looked like. Um, he's flourishing in it, in that role, that number 10 role that he's playing, just... It's the player that we that I thought we'd signed. A lot of running. It's nice to see him pressing rather than tracking back. Although he's still doing that, but it's nice to see all that running that he does going in the right direction. I think mm. as well, he's made us look for the first time in a while like a really effective counter-attacking team. Which, when you look at the players like St. Maximum, Wilson, Fraser, that is sort of that looks like where we'll get the most out of these players. And he's the sort of best fulcrum for that, of just picking up the ball, going 40 yards, drawing defenders out, not giving them time to get set, making space for the other runners. He's also confident in a way that he hasn't been since he's been at the club, really, in terms of finishing. Mm. That was a problem for him for a long time, and now... He is not only taking chances, but he looks like he's going to take those chances, doesn't he? He'd like, and mm. he's having a baby. Have you seen his gender reveal video? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. Uh, it's just him in his garden with his missus. He picks a football up and kicks it, and blue powder explodes. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, what were you? What did you describe? Was she describing reveal? that to me, Paul? I'm going crying. <laughs> Go on, Paul, what are you going to say? What was your gender reveal uh, video? What, for our son? For your son. 
um, we uh, we put on a production of uh, William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, <laughs> and um, oh, I can't remember the names of the characters. I was going to do some joke about just oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, fine. No, gender reveal. Yeah, but he's a, <laughs> wank, he's a very it's, wank. it's all wank. I, I hate him now. Anyone, <laughs> if you'd have said to me a couple of hours ago, I know someone who's had a gender gender reveal party, I would have thought, well, they sound like a twat. Um, so I'm not changing my opinion. I've always loved Miguel Almiron. I now hate him. And I, I think, think we thing... should, I think we should sell him. At the, I think we should sell him at the earliest opportunity to take whatever we can get for him. I think with things like this, it's very hard for us to remember that the footballers are children compared to us. They get they're going to make mm. mistakes like this, and it is a mistake having a gender yeah, reveal video. They really are children. I think I'm compared with all footballers. I think I may currently be. I might be approached. I, I know Giggs scored a goal when he was forty, and Sheringham did. But I, I might be older than both of them. I might now be older than any player who's ever scored a goal in the Premier League. So that's not going to yeah. stop you trying to be a professional footballer, is it? No, I've still. If you want something enough, it will happen. <laughs> yeah, you're knocking on the door. I'm knocking on. I've just, you know, at the moment, I'm just mainly sort of like. Googling stuff, watching football. I've not, I haven't, I've not really, I haven't played in a long time, but I'm, yeah, but I haven't ever really played in an organised match. No, but the design is there. Biding my time. Yeah, you've got hunger and passion. That's all you need. That's all I need. You, you're just a raw talent. That's all. You're just raw talent. And I, I it's, who you know, it's who you know, isn't it? That's the problem. That was so political. Yeah, that's it. Would, it would be absolutely gutting to find out now that you were good enough to be a professional footballer, just as it's too late. <laughs> I have a long-running fantasy in my head. The question I always ask is, if I was exactly as good at football as I am, which is really like bad, played football every day at school in the playground for 10 years, touched the ball like four times, <laughs> like really really bad at football but if I was that bad at football but for whatever reason whenever I played in a match at what at any level I always scored a hat-trick just because it bounced off me in some way mm-hmm. even if you could get me up to the World Cup final I would always score a hat-trick but I don't think I'd get there because like We've had you this know, discussion. Scout, scouts might hear about my scoring stats in like schools football or Sunday leagues, and then they come and watch me and they go, "Well, he's shy." Right. <laughs> we've we've had this discussion at least four times. In I'm so obsessed pubs, with this idea. But I, I always say you would end up getting to the top level because there would always be someone just the one level above willing to take a chance on you, and if you get a hat trick every game at every level, it would mm. it would just happen. Yeah, apparently that's and it story. would be wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently that's the story of how Darren Bent got his career. <laughs> I was trying to think of a name. Really. Um, so we're going to have a break in a minute. But is there anything else that we desperately need to say about the Southampton game? A lot of yeah, injuries. We need, yeah, we need to mention that Callum Wilson's out. 
Javier Manquillo's out. Um, Fabian Schaar Fabian sounds like he's going to be out for the season I don't know yeah. how long Wilson's going to be or Manquillo but that's our realistically our only striker uh, Manquillo is arguably our first choice right back and Fabian Schaar's like yeah we've got a, a decent collection of centre-halves but they're all fucking injured I think it leaves like Clark and Dummett that are fit to play centre-back yeah, Fernandez is coming back, isn't he? I think. Yeah, I don't know how long he's going to be out for, though. It's it's just it, we've got a tough run of fixtures coming up, mm. and to lose, like especially when we're just getting into form, and we're just, it's just really frustrating because we, we are playing some good stuff, and now we're like missing the the best striker we've had at the club since Denver Bar. I think Fernandez, from from what I can see. Uh, Fernandez is coming back. Lascelles is coming back. So, yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. And hey, if if uh, if we can play well as we have done, as well as we have done in the last few games, in the next few games, Joe Linton might score a hat trick in every game, and you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we don't need to um, have, if we if we don't continue to play. If we continue to play four at the back, then at least we only need two centre-backs or two people who can play it. Yeah. yeah. One other question, not necessarily related to that game, but mm-hmm. do you, when do you think, if at all this season, Dubravka's going to get back in the team? I don't think he will this season, unless no. I think it's going to take a, a howler from Darlow. I think he sort of drops off a little bit, mm. Darlow. He looks a little nervy in his sort of command of the area for me. Because I think but. Dubravka is still probably our best keeper. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I think don't think Darlow deserves to be dropped. I don't think, yeah, I don't think keepers lose their place really until they make an error. Certainly if they've already played half a season. I just yeah. don't think that happens. Yeah. Like you say, unless he drops a clanger or gets injured, Darlow's it. And I'm I'm fine with that. It's a nice problem to have. Yeah, I don't think having Dubravka in the side would... Sorry, I don't think having Darlow in the side is going to cost us many points. Um, so it's not like... It's not like we've got a, a shit keeper who's in good form. I think Darlow's a perfectly serviceable Premier League keeper, and for a club like us, he'll do fine. If um, Dubravka wants to get back in the side, the smartest thing he could do right now is work on uh, filling in at centre back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or centre forward. Or centre forward, and then he's got a yeah. chance. Well, or maybe set we'll... Carl Darlow up with Steve Bruce's daughter. Yeah, that's always the way. So uh, maybe I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll have a break now. And after the break, we will look into how we'll solve the potential long-term injury of Callum Wilson's situation. We will uh, address your questions and comments from social media. And we will have another game of the game that is sweeping the nation. Life after love. All right. (laughs) See you after the break.
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Good break, guys. Lovely. Really good piss. Oh, fantastic. I'm pleased for you. You hear about Dave's piss? Apparently it was really good. Superb. I don't think I've had a good piss with a real heavy flow for years. <laughs> um, uh, we were just... Before we move on to social media, I think we need to solve the problem of Callum Wilson's absence because we've said many times this season if there's a player we really don't want to go missing, it's Callum Wilson. There are so many positives to take from the last game. His injury is not one of them. Who and how will we replace him and hopefully at least maintain some of this current positive trajectory without him? Uh, Paul? I think the best like-for-like replacement that allows us to keep everything else the same is Dwight Gale. I think we sort of showed that towards the end of last season. Like He got goals towards the end of last season playing in that role. I don't think Joel Linton is the answer. Well, he's not the answer to much, really. I think I'd rather Carroll up front than Joel Linton, but I I think Carroll's a very blunt tool. The only, the only other option which I'd almost like to see is a sort of Shearer, Bellamy, Carroll, Almiron. But I'd, I'd like to see it, but I don't think it would work. I think Gale, that... Um, I th- yeah, I think I think Paul's right that, that Gale is the, the most like-for-like replacement, but he doesn't offer a lot in like physicality. So it would really depend on who we're playing against. If we're, pl- if we're up against the team that presses a lot and perhaps doesn't isn't the physical side then absolutely go with Gale but a team where perhaps we're going to be more on the back foot and relying more on um, just lumping it forward to try and relieve some of that pressure and cause a problem from set pieces I do think you've got to go Joe Linton and I also think the new way that we're playing where we're creating a bit more chances the, the attacking players are on the ball a bit more I would say that that style of football would get more out of Joe Linton than the style that we have been playing. I'm not saying Joe Linton's great or a £40 million striker or anything, but I think he you'd get more out of him. And I don't think you can play Carroll because, like you say, he's a blunt instrument and he can't play 90 minutes. So you'd have to be swapping him out on the half hour or so. So I would say, depending on the opposition, Gale and or... Um, and then Joe Linton. 
Okay, I'm surprised by your Joe Linton answer, but I, I don't poo-poo it. I respect it. I I wasn't... So when Wilson came off in the, the game the other day, I was a little surprised and disappointed when uh, Joe Linton was his replacement. But weirdly, I thought that it actually ended up working out all right once we, we went down to 10 men and eventually nine men and we were playing two banks of four. Yeah, his Joe physicality was amazing, but he was. I would rather have Joe Linton in that situation than Carroll or Gale. Joe Linton yeah. put in a real shift. He, he was, um, I can't remember the stats, but it was something like um, tackles, interceptions, uh, challenges, things kicks. like that. He was, yeah, you know, he, was he was doing a job, taking up time. I we offered, he offered he had... no attacking threat, but then we offered very little attacking threat. So it's hard to say that that was his fault. It, but you know, we were down to eight, eight outfield players. So it, I do think he's proved for... he's proved over a very long sample set, though, that he is not a Premier League striker. I do. No, I he's think he's that's... by some distance our fourth best striker. I think he's quite yeah, I don't way think that's behind Carroll and Gale. Yeah. So I just yeah, think, no then, point. I think you might as well put St. Maximin up on his own rather than Joel Linton. For well, I was going to say as a sort of wild card, yes, whether you do have on their own up front, obviously it's not ideal and you lose something by putting them up front and not having them a little deeper, but someone like Almiron or even Ryan Fraser. Just so you look got, at Palace at times have had success having Ayu and Zaha basically playing as two two striker slash wingers. It's almost four four two, but it's more of like a four six zero. You but you basically have by doing that you you could potentially basically just have better players mm. on the pitch on the pitch and sort yeah. of alternating being the one taking that opportunity. The problem is that you're less likely to have them someone running into the six yard box to to take that chance because they don't have a striker's instinct. But Joe Linton certainly doesn't have that. Yeah. Nobody's but less likely to be fair, but. no one's less likely to run into the six yard box than Joe Linton. That's yeah. the thing. I would rather I'd almost rather not field anyone. Yeah, but Dwight Gale is a proper striker, but yeah. he doesn't feel very in favour. And, but Dwight Gale, yeah. end of last season, was scoring one in two yeah. in the Premier League. So I think and I t- should be second I t- I tell place. You, and I tell you what, the the way that we're playing now is creating more, much more opportunities for our um, attacking midfielders to score. Yeah, I mean, Almiron got two against Southampton, and uh, Willett got one. So there is, and I, you know, St Maximum has got a goal in him. I think we've got threat from midfield, so perhaps to, I don't know, either to strengthen my case or, or ruin it, when you play with someone like Joe Linton, you don't play him as like the, the guy that's going to score the goal, but the guy that's going to play the pass that's going to result in the goal. Like, If they were all fit, I would rather have Amaron, Sam Maximan, Fraser... And uh, the other one, <laughs> all on the pitch, all on the pitch <laughs> at the expense of Dwight Gale. Yeah, I sort of think as well. I just, 
I don't think there's any need to resort to Joel Linton. I think Wilson against Southampton had a pretty average game by his standards. He played at the level Dwight Gale probably would. And I think it would just be like for like, like Dave saying, our midfield are creating enough now. But I think Gale would fit in better to that and would get into those positions. I think yeah. Gale's movement would actually create more space than Joel Linton's lack of movement. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I mean, I, I, I need to be clear. I'm not saying Joel Linton should be is. Wilson's well, maybe get his dick out your mouth, Dave. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I think we've we've talked about a lot of different permeations there. And we've talked about it longer than I expected. But that doesn't and we've made up the word permeations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now let's go to uh, social media. We've had uh, a few questions and comments. Not many, but maybe that's a blessed relief. Um, Paul M says, thoughts on Alex Bruce blocking Newcastle fans on Twitter? If he thinks the criticism is harsh... He shouldn't tell his dad. He clearly, I mean, if, <laughs> listen, Paul, I pride myself on not knowing what Alex Bruce is doing on Twitter. I mean, it's hard to think of something that I think about less. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware that that was a thing. I'm glad I wasn't aware. I couldn't give less of a shit. Yes. I mean, it's a, I mean, depends what they've said. Do you know what I mean? He's, a, he's his own man. He can block whoever he wants from Twitter. You know, I would imagine that he's been getting abused and therefore has blocked people. <laughs> Fine. Fine. I have no issue with Alex Bruce blocking Newcastle fans from Twitter. He can block whoever he fucking likes. <laughs> um, Alex Fusco said, in fact, Paul, I'm blocking you. No, I'm not. I'm not. Thank you very much for your... Um, Thank you very much for your correspondence. Alex Fusco says, why is Marty Lonstaff so far from the starting 11? He looks promising when he plays, but hasn't started for a while now. And wasn't even in the squad for the Southampton game. No, he wasn't, was he? Apparently the club were thinking of loaning him and his brother out in January. Yes, that is true. What is going... I mean, we did um, talk a little bit about the Longstaff brothers as a pair on the last podcast and how Joe Willock's loan signing... Um, set them back a bit. What is going on with Matty Longstaff? It's an odd one because you look at the performances he's put in this season when he's been asked to play and they've all been sort of seven out of ten probably. And then you look at, like he sort of, he has to make one tiny mistake and then he's out of the picture. And then you look at players like Shelby and Hendrick who can seemingly fuck up at will but they'll still get picked. It does feel overly harsh on him. Sean Longstaff, mm. I can understand, because he had plenty of chances and just looks a shadow of the player he was. But Matty Longstaff looks like he's got the energy that we've needed. And I don't know what the problem is. Presumably there's something going on. But I mean, you wonder whether... I mean, the thing is, he has played a few games this season, but I'd wonder whether there's a little bit of... Um sort of uh, negative atmosphere around him behind the scenes because of everything that went on with the contract in the summer. I did, I did hear it said that there's talk that his, he's lost some weight and they're a bit worried about his physicality at the moment. I've heard that that's a thing with Matty Longstaff. I don't know. 
But um, it doesn't look much lighter than Joe Willett, for example, though, does he? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. Hendrick is he now suspended because yeah. of yeah. yeah. So will it be uh, a like for like replacement with Matty Longstaff going in there? It'd be interesting uh, to see. Hayden's still going to be at centre back. I would like on. to see a midfield that has Hayden, Willock, and one other in. If we are doing that sort of three central midfielders, I think Shelby or either of the Longstaffs would be good in that system. Yeah, I agree. Well, well, I guess we'll see. Uh, Jordy Ash says. Why were we absolute dog shit for a dud? I mean, this is here we go. This is aimed at um, you and me. Why were we absolute dog shit for a dozen matches and look like a completely different time now? Most play- players didn't seem to care, but now the players are fighting for the cause. I know that Ferguson Paul think Graham Jones coming in has absolutely nothing to do with it. All right, Jordy <laughs> Ash. Um, what do I think about that? I think that I don't. I don't really. I, I stand where. I was before. Graham Jones may have made a bit of difference. I think it's just ridiculous how much has been played on it. It's just a new coach. And that and this new history is it's sort of a rewriting of history. Yes, we have had an upturn in form, but we have had little moments of that over the season. We had we were talking, at least on this podcast, around the Christmas period, about how uh we were excited about how we had done against uh, Liverpool. And I think we'd had an all right performance against Manchester City. We hadn't got like much well, out what, of it in terms of... I think you have to remember there though, Graham Jones had snuck into the club for those games. Under cover of darkness. You too, Prick. Look, the, the credit that the team received for the performances against Liverpool and Man City were about endeavour and effort and intensity because that was something that had been lacking for ages. So that was the credit they were getting. It wasn't particularly that we were playing good football, it was just that the, the 11 players on the pitch were, were grafting their arse off, and that deserves credit. The uptick in performance across the team that's happened in the last three, three and a half games is worth setting aside and saying it's different from the occasional win against Everton or um, against uh, West Ham or something like that, the good performance there, because it was it was a, a more complete performance. So that's why the fans are, are rightly praising the team and rightly praising the, the performances. And they're saying, well, what's changed? And the only thing that's changed um, since the since like the second half, well, second half against Leeds really was the players were putting in more an effort. Then Jones comes in, and suddenly we're playing better football. Now it, you might be right that it's not down to to Jones. I, I would say that that's that's but reasonable, I'm not, but I think I'm it's also reasonable. This is the thing. No, no, no. Like, it's not all down to Jones, is what I meant to say. Not a little bit down to Jones. Not all down to Jones. I get that. But you also have to admit that, like, something's changed and then we've got a lot better. Like, a lot better. And you have to say, well, if that's the only thing that's changed, surely that is the a bigger a bigger part of the puzzle. Okay, well, I don't, I don't want to go into the same argument as last week. No, I don't know what you're no, trying no. to do, but I feel like I'm about to. But, like... I just, uh, for me, it's just not 
binary. What irritates me is the way it was just so, you could just predict it so easily that if anything positive happened after Graham Jones came in, it was suddenly going to be like, oh, well, there was no way. What it, All you have it, is it feels like for a lot of people, the only thought process that goes in is like, how can I distance this positive thing that has happened to Newcastle? How can I make sure that Steve Bruce gets zero credit for it? I'm not even, I'm not saying he deserves credit for it, but I'm just, the fact that people were going through, the thing that got me so much, and I'm not saying that you did this, Jordi Ash, but a lot of Newcastle fans did, and there were lots of tweets of this, with getting thousands of likes, pictures of Graham Jones talking to Newcastle players and giving instructions like this has never been done by a coach before. Like that didn't happen in every single other game this weekend that a coach gave instructions to players from the sidelines. And there were pictures of it with Newcastle fans going, look, there's, we've got, finally we've got a coach in there giving instructions while Steve Bruce, look at him. He's just standing there, not knowing what to do. And it's, and it's, that that just really annoys me because he's so Stupid. I think as well, the Southampton game was a perfect microcosm of anything good that happened. The first half was all down to Graham Jones. As soon as Hendrick gets sent off, it's like, it's Bruce's golden boy. Why has he picked him? It's just like, you can't so, just again, cherry pick so, everything. In answer to your to question, game. in answer to your question, uh, Jordi Ash, you, you may well be right. You probably are right. It's not, it's, there is, you can't ignore the fact that there has been an uptick in form, performance, uh, and a, a, a more cohesive sort of formation and all of that. Almiron is being played in a position that works for him, and all of that has coincided with the arrival of Graham Jones. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean Graham Jones may well be responsible for all of that, but it's this binary thing where like suddenly like any performance, good performances before in the season, Steve Bruce didn't get any credit for those when we did some good performances in the past. But as soon as they've like, we've got someone that we can give credit for it. It's like, Oh, it's all down to this new coach. And we've never fucking heard speak. And we'd never heard of until two minutes before he arrived. It- also, they do seem to be saying that he is Bruce's appointment. So it's a bit like if your roof is leaking, and you go, well, I need to get a roofer in to fix that. And everyone's going, oh, this roof has sorted the fucking roof out at last. What did you do? <laughs> like, it's me that made that happen. <laughs> Even if, if it is down to Graham Jones, it's still because the decision made was was made to bring him in. But I, it's fine. I, I think Jones... I would. I think I would. I would agree with that analogy. If the the problem wasn't that, like, you're a roofer yourself. Steve Bruce is a Premier League manager. So why, okay, so why like, do we have coaches? Yeah. Why, do, why do football squads have coaches? Why don't they no, just hang on, have managers? Hang on a second. Hang on. Steve Bruce is a Premier League manager, and for the majority, overwhelming majority of this season, even in games where we've won, the football's been bad. Right? Bad. Last season, very similar. Majority of the season was shit. The credit's going to Jones now, because the fans understandably go, well, hang on a second, we've been absolute shit for ages. Something changes, new, new coach comes in, suddenly 
with no no hint of it happening beforehand, suddenly we're the playing second, The second half against Leeds is the suddenly bit, though. That's the thing. It, it started before Jones came in. It's like suddenly. That was, that was, that was effort. Arrival. And that, that was effort. And like I said on the podcast, but then after, I, the, Leeds I, game, I after, after enough, the Leeds game, I said, I said that would look like a team that was... Uh, it was a must-win game for them, and that's why the players put the effort in, and that's why they looked a bit more hungry. I said that in the podcast. The quality of the football in the second half against Leeds wasn't better. We were just trying harder. That's the only difference. There's a cherry-picking of things, though, to say this is the only possible explanation, whereas you could also say we were a mid-table, okay team. Then we got COVID and an injury crisis. And by the time we had all our players back and available, we had an upturn. And, and just the... to go to what, and just to go to jo- what Jordy Ash actually says, he says, we were absolute dog shit for a dozen, ma- dozen matches. Look like a different team now. Most players didn't seem to care. And now the players are fighting for the cause. He's not talking about a new way of playing he's talking about players fighting for the cause which they apparently uh, were doing until he, until uh, Graham Jones arrived well I'm looking at his tweet and he says why were we absolute dog shit for a dozen matches and look at a completely different team now now when I read that he's saying we yeah, were performing badly is, let's analyze let's were... analyze Jordy Ash's tweet today Dave. <laughs> the next sentence is most players didn't seem to care but now players are fighting for the cause these are two different statements. These are two different questions, rather. He's, he's saying that we were performing badly, and then he, he was also saying, and we were also not caring. That's what I'm Why thinking. does it Maybe have to just... be about Bruce and Jones, for fuck's sake? It's, 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 it's mad. It's mad. That's what the question is. It's mad. There's a collective madness. In Why do you two hate Graham Jones and our fans? You hate Graham Jones and you hate our fans? I just think it's, it's all gone it's mad. Just... Yeah, it's just not. Steve Bruce is not a good Premier League manager, but Dave, why? Do you and your friend Jordi Ash Mm-mm. denounce people talking about pictures of Graham Jones giving instructions to Newcastle United players <laughs> and saying that, and, and Steve Bruce being in shock, not giving instructions to Newcastle players? And saying that this somehow tells a story. Do you denounce that, Dave? I won't speak for Geordie Ash, but yeah. I you denounce personally that. denounce that. Thank you. I think they're Do subhuman Israel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, well, we'll leave it there. We'll, I expect we'll come back to it. But as with most things, I like to try and, you know, play all size i'm not saying that graham jones hasn't made a difference i just i just hate this new thing of like how cat i think the most annoying thing about it is that the arrival of graham jones has given newcastle fans an excuse to enjoy us playing and not give any credit to bruce i think if that performance exactly as it was against Southampton had happened and there had not been the arrival of Graham Jones, then there would have been a lot more whinging about how we had got ourselves into that second half situation where we were backed up against the wall and it was all down to um, Steve Bruce's choice, Hendrick, 
And the only reason we were good in the first half was because Joe Willock had arrived and that was somehow nothing to do with Steve Bruce. There'd be a lot more slap. That's what I think. And, and it would have been like, this is exactly what was going to happen when you pick your best central midfielder at centre-back. It's, yeah, there's a real just having to break football, which is so intricate and complicated, down to ones and zeros. Like, it's either this or it's that. It can't be nuanced at all. And it it ruins the enjoyment of, like, this Saturday was a really fun Saturday of football, which we don't get often. And it's really annoying to have that and then look on Twitter and it all be like, what is Bruce doing? Stop looking and then on Twitter. I, mean, I know it's I, my fault. I watched, I, I'm complaining I watched, about something that I'm signing up to look at. I do get I watched the entire I watched the entire game and at no point did I think about Steve Bruce or Graham Jones, or the conflict on Twitter, or the binary nature of partisan life. I didn't. I thought about the 11, 10, 9 players on the pitch. Do you know why, Dave? Because I'm a better man than you two. You're an ostrich. <laughs> oh, That's a callback anyway. from five years ago. <laughs> Let's no, move the nice, fuck was, on. No, yes. it's nice to finally get a coach. Who gives instructions to the players? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to have the last word, don't you? You have to have the last word. Sorry, no. Sorry, I'll keep going on about it. The reaction to the photos. Oh, um, fuck's sake. I think that is the most embarrassing thing that I've seen a fan base do ever. Robert Elliott says. If you had to have a portrait of a Newcastle player, past or present, tattooed on your body. Who would you choose and where would you have it? Uh, I think I would go for um, Johan Kabai's face over my face. (laughs) (laughs) I would just have a tattoo of his face on my face and hope that that made me look better. Because he was a very attractive man. Yeah, I thought you were taking a very risky... Like, I would never have a more attractive man tattooed on my body anywhere so i think i'd have to go clarence acuna and that i'm safe and i'd have it as a warning in a thigh in a thigh just i think i'd have philip albert's chip of peter schmeichel but going from one buttock to the other (laughs) with maybe like a 5-0 and my ring piece being the zero because it's tasteful, but it's like... Would the crack of your ass be... Would your crack of your ass be one of the part posts. of the goal? Yeah. yeah, beautiful, lovely. It would be a... Uh, your ass. You say ass, Dave. We've Just, got American listeners. I don't know. Oh, I appreciate that. That's very good. Um, Robert Why Elliott, do you think Dave's been saying sidewalk all the time? <laughs> uh, Robert Elliott also says, uh, being Geordie expats, uh, which I guess refers to all of us except Paul, who I'm is not a resident of Newcastle. Uh, being Geordie expats, have you ever fancied supporting somebody else instead of the two? Um, do I instead of no, like in addition to, yeah, I live uh, not too far away from Stockport, so I thought about going to see them on the regular. I also live quite close to Altrincham, so. Yeah, I could go and watch another team, but instead of never. you've never even actually gone to watch those teams. Yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen them a couple of times, but I mean, go and watch them every yeah. Saturday. Yeah, I think I have different levels of support 
for other teams. But I'll go to Dulwich Hamlet games every now and then. Even like Crystal Palace games, even though it's the same league, I don't mind going along, but it's not the same level of support. I don't think you can have that same level of support for two teams. Like no team winds me up as much as Newcastle or makes me like stand during the last half hour of a game. As a student, I went to Manchester City when they were in the third tier of English football. I went to them quite regularly and uh, found a growing af- affection for them, which I now very much lo- no longer feel because they're a completely different club. But as I've mentioned many times, I did go for a period where I went to Leighton Orient a lot and in a weird way felt like they had become my club because I went to them so much. I felt like a genuine affinity with the players and the club and, and everything. Yeah. But, um, it's a different experience. I'm finding though, that it? whenever I actually watched Newcastle or certainly I went to a Newcastle game, that, that the feeling that I got in my belly was a lot more intense. Yeah. I mean, similar to you, when I was down in London, I went to AFC Wimbledon a lot and ended up going to, to a couple of their playoff games and, and watched them get promoted and celebrated with the players in the pub and all that kind of thing. And it was fun. But at no point would I choose that over a Newcastle game. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Andy Sheldon asks, uh, if... ASM, Alan Sir Maximum, keeps playing the way he does. Do you think we'll be able to keep hold of him in the next window? He's so far and away superior to the rest of the squad. Surely he should be competing to actually win things. He has just signed a six-year contract, hasn't he? That doesn't keep you safe at Newcastle, though. That's more about the transfer value you can command. But that's what I'm saying, is that means that the transfer fee Mm. would be very high, and he does come with quite a lot of baggage, so... I don't think he'd be at the club if it wasn't for COVID at the minute. I think other teams, if they'd had the money in the last couple of windows, would have made a move for him. Like you sort of Leicester's or that level of Premier League club would have offered 30 million for St. Maximum and probably that would have been enough to get him. I think the future of a lot of our players depends on any kind of takeover. I think if Ashley stays next season, then Wilson, St. Maximum, and maybe even Almiron would be a good offer would be enough to get them out. I might be wrong, but I don't think that, uh, I think the same maximum will be with us for at least one more season because of the signing of that contract, because there aren't many football clubs with much money to spend at the moment. Mm. I think his fee would be high. I think since he's been with us, how many games a season does he play? He does get injured a lot and he does have a reputation for when he's not injured. There's always a lot of chat around and before he was with us of him being a bit of a problem. So that doesn't make make him not an amazing player who could be an asset to uh, the right club and the right manager at the right time. But I just think all those things together make me, and I'm very pleased about this, make me think that he'll be with us for at least one more season. Yeah, for me, the the amount of money that we would demand for him would rule out a lot of the clubs where he'd be first choice um, winger. 
and the the teams that could afford him comfortably, like Man City or whomever, wouldn't want him because he's not consistent enough. There's not enough to his game. Um, I think he's at that top end of the the Premier League, but outside the top five or six clubs. And I don't think many teams in that bracket would pay the the fee that we demand for him. And like Paul says. If the the trans if the takeover or a takeover goes ahead in the summer, then I think he'll stay for at least another season or so, just to you know reap the benefits of that. And uh, we've got one more uh, sort of comment on Twitter from uh, Stephen M Sharp, who says something light, something light to talk about after your big fight last week. Well, we just had another another one. Paul sounds just like Noel Fielding. <laughs> This is what Stephen M. Sharp thinks. Please, just close your eyes and listen. Oh, and prove to me Paul Dummett is not Chris O'Dowd. I mean, I'm I'm not really in agreement on either of those things, but if it works for you, Stephen, then fair play. But maybe... You yeah, say, maybe... yeah, Paul, can you say something about, I don't know, unicorn tears and something like that, something Noel Field-esque, Noel Fielding-esque? It's a bit whimsical for my liking, to be honest. <laughs> the Noel Field in humour. Right, sure. Yeah, just say something about a pineapple driving a bus. Come on. Yeah, come Imagine on. a pineapple driving a bus. No, I can see yeah, it. Yeah. A bit Noel yeah, it felt like you were yeah. doing an impression then, though. But, like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, so. All right, okay. We can wait no longer. The the <laughs> hordes are at my door, chanting, Actually, demanding. We want life after love. We want <laughs> life after love. Well, I'm pleased to say that Dave has prepared some life after love. If you are new to the game, which is sweeping the nation, <laughs> it's it's in the it's in the running. To, Bradley Walsh is currently sweating because it's going to replace the chase. You won't need pointless on BBC One anymore because it is going to replace pointless. It will replace both pointless. And the chase. It is the game that sweeps me in the nation. Life after love. The rules are Dave is before we get too far into the rules. I think our listeners need to hear when we finished the pod the other week, Fergus told us what the song Life After Love always made him think about, which (laughs) I think needs refreshing. Oh, it was running around a, a, a movement studio hungover. Uh, during my drama school years, listening to Cher's song, <laughs> Believe. Uh, there you go. Man okay. of the people. Man of the people. Hey, I never said I was. I've always, you know, I've always been an outsider, a renegade, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. The rules of the game are Dave is going to uh, give us a player that we, we have to name. We have to guess that player based on clues. Those clues are Dave will name a club that that player played for after Newcastle. The first club that they played for after Newcastle, then the next club, then the next club, and we'll keep going until either me or Paul can guess who the player is. Have I explained it clearly? Yeah, Pretty much. Yep. Idea. All right, let's do the first one. It's tense. First club after Newcastle. Reading. Wayne Routledge. No. I 
cannot think of a single player who went to Reading except for maybe Leon Best. No. Second club after Reading, Fulham. Aaron Hughes. No. Damien Duff. No. I thought you'd get this one pretty quickly. Third club after Reading and Fulham, Blackburn. The Reading is just completely throwing me. Paul Kitson? No. Because Reading were a lowly team in Paul Kitson's days. Um, you sure it's not Wayne Routledge? Can you check your notes again? <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm sure. Reading, Fulham, Blackburn. Come on, lads. Reading is just stop focusing on Reading then. Well, Fulham and Blackburn. I mean. Damien Duff obviously played for them both, but Blackburn was prior. Mm. Never played for Reading. You might like get it on the, the last club, but I'd be surprised if you get it from the next one. Keith so that's No. Go on. The next one, Mitra Kukar, which is an Indonesian association football club. I had to okay. Google that. I'd never heard of them. So he went Reading, Fulham, Blackburn, Mitra Kukar. Any guesses? No. Paul? Give me one more. I, well, I'm just going through the Mitra Kukar players in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Chopra? No. He didn't play for any of those clubs, did he? Shaka Hislop. I was just no. thinking about players oh. who collected a lot of like... Shaka weird. Hislop played for Reading though, didn't he? Did well, I think, and then the final the club he played for Walsall. Ah, uh, ah, uh, that's I know this because I I have mentioned I mentioned this player Lua a few Lua? weeks ago. He's currently it is at, not Lualawa. No, I let me. I've got is Danny Guthrie, yes, oh, Danny Guthrie, yes. I have no memory of Danny Guthrie. Danny Guthrie going to Reading. I have no memory of Danny Guthrie at Fulham. His no. his, his career post Newcastle was a void for me <laughs> until a few months ago. I saw that he was playing for Walsall. He's really in the uh, Darren Ambrose like category of former Newcastle players. In fact, I put Darren. I don't, I, I had a question about Danny Guthrie on a previous Newcastle net pod. Playing the water. Okay, go well, on. Give me another feel, one. That feels like it's unfairly weighted. As a yeah, question. That was a tough. That was an incredible. Was that the tough one, Dave? <laughs> no, that you wasn't the that tough, really one. tough one. That was a tough one. <laughs> okay, after Newcastle, this player played for Wigan. James Perch. Yes. Boom. Straight away. Wow. P dog. Well done. This is the tough one. Ooh. After Newcastle, this player moved to Universidad Autonoma. To Guadalajara. Sorry Diego for butchering it. Diego yes, Diego oh. Gavilan. 
I think that there's somewhere in the residue. I think I must have been on Diego Gavilan's <laughs> Wikipedia page 40 times. Because I, I, I just always put it in like, I just, you know, like a few I times. I can't believe that. Okay. About yeah. once a Little. quarter, or should I say Q, I, Thanks. <laughs> I, oh, that was a reference to something that we said not on the podcast, I think. Um, <laughs> every few months, I sit there staring into the nothingness and thinking, I wonder what happened to Diego Gavilan? Because I just, He's had a he's had a very busy career. Yeah, I'm sure. He's had ten clubs after Newcastle. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming he's yeah. retired now. He's probably yeah, yeah. He, I saw something in the Chronicle where he, um, Christian Basadas, Clarence Acuna, and um, Marcelino all met up in Assumption for like a drink and <laughs> and a catch up. This is bizarre. Wow. Um, okay, last one. Oh, there's a last, another one. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Let's keep going. Why not? This is for us. Really. Get one back. You're very welcome yeah. to turn off, but if not, yeah. like, <laughs> play, play, play at home. Join in on Life After Love. Here we go. Another one. Or just mute for a couple of minutes until <laughs> <Yeah>. at the end. <laughs> Club he joined after Newcastle was PSG. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, there was another one. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Do I get another guess? No, not till love. No one. Oh, come on, Paul. This is not the no, no, this no, is no. Not it's gonna be no, wrong. No, no. it's gonna be wrong, but I'm gonna say David Rosenhall. No, club after PSG is Leeds. Oh, that's thrown me. Yeah, it's not Hassan Ben Arfa, is it? No, no. Uh, Vernon and Eaton never went to PSG, did he? No. Um, what was another one who went to PSG? Who was it? Oh, this hurts. Give us another one. Um, after day. Leeds, Espanyol. Oh, he's a very, I, would, I mean, I'd, he's lived in a few different countries. Yeah. And different, and I'd love to have a conversation with him. Uh, did he go to PSG because he was French? Or did he go there because he was good? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a <laughs> that's, that's the detective coming out. Um, oh, this is going to really annoy me because I remember seeing another one when I was preparing last week's Life After Love. Someone who went to PSG that wasn't Johan Kabai, and I was like, "Oh, that'll come in handy." Uh, Didier Domi, yes, boom, oh, Paul well Didier Domi, boom, two-two, well done. Didier Domi. Did Domi go to Everton, or am I confusing him with Alan no. I no, think you're thinking Didier, of Distan. Distan. I think Didier Domi scored the first goal that I ever saw a Newcastle player score live for the first team. Oh, really? Away, uh, Goodison Park. 
think my first Newcastle goal in the flesh was Alan Shearer's first Newcastle goal. And it was it was the his friendly against Lincoln, Lincoln right? City, yeah. Nice. I mean, I can do one more if you want, but if oh my god, well, I mean, it's just we might as well. I mean, yeah. it's, we're rinsing okay. this game. I think we might stop. We're with in that. lockdown. We might as well lock the view, the listeners in with us. Okay, first permanent club after Newcastle United, Cardiff City. Craig permanent. Bellamy. No, not Bellamy. Bellamy. Oh. We've already done that, haven't we? Fergus. Um. I'm assuming it's no one who's been mentioned before because that would be right. Unless it unless it was Michael Chopra. It was Michael Chopra. Ooh. Nice. That's it. Three, two. Well done, Fergus. Well you done. win life after love. Thank you. All right. How on. You fireworks. <laughs> God, that was fun. All right. So our next game, if you're still listening, <laughs> is, I mean, if I think of I was a listener, I think that's the bit I'd be most engaged in. I'd love that game. Yeah. It's um, the bit that makes me feel most like I'm in a pub. I like it for that. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's the that's an in, a little um, insight in, for you there into what it's like to go to the pub with Paul Doolan. <laughs> <laughs> It is normal. I mean, the words Craig Bellamy get said a lot because it's mainly football questions to which he is the answer. Yeah. So uh, our next game is on uh, Monday night, Monday night football. Are you ready for some football? Monday night football, Monday night, Sky Sports. We are away at Chelsea Football Club. What do we think? Is our... um, uh, they seem to have a very right good. Right. They seem to have a very solid defence under Tuchel, and we'll have no Callum Wilson. So I think mm-hmm. I'd be happy with a performance on a par of what we've had in the last few games, and regardless of the result. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. Um, I don't think we're going to get a result. I would be. I'd be surprised if we did, so I'm gonna go like a two nil loss, but that's fine. I'm not I'm I'm not gonna turn on Graham Jones just because of that. <laughs> yeah, I would like I just to, hope I, as I, long I, as he talks to the players, that's all I wanna see. As long as Jones keeps yeah. telling the players what to do. I'm gonna be optimistic and predict a two one loss. Um but yes, if if we get to see something if we even get to see something from the uh, heady days of the pre-Graham Jones era, such as against Liverpool and Manchester City, much better sides, but where we put in a lot of uh, fight and effort, I would like to see that. And um, It'll be interesting yeah. to see if we go to five at the back, like we traditionally have against better teams. I kind of hope not, just because of the amount of centre-backs we've got missing, but who knows? I really I really hope that we don't. I think that one of the um, features of Steve Bruce's reign has been a lot of chopping and changing and not giving things a chance to 
work. Yeah. We do have something that is working to a degree at the moment. And no matter who the opposition is, I'd rather just sort of stick with it for a while. Mm. I think I, I'd, well, agree with, I'd agree with that. But the only, the only thing I would say is that we might be forced into a change of formational system because of, because of the personnel we've, we don't have available. Um, but I agree. Like if you've got something that is working, even if it's just the performances are better, I, I say stick with it, but I, I just don't know if we can, because we just don't have the bodies. I think though, we've surely got enough centre backs. We've got Kraft for Mankio. I'd happily go Gale for Wilson, keep the same shape. Hmm. Surely. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I mean, to be honest, lads, I'm, I'm, I think I've been pretty confident of relegation, but looking at where the bottom three are and where we are, we're like 10 points clear of the bottom three. I think we'll need, from the next, what, th- uh, was it 60, um, next 15 games, I think we need like three or four wins and a few yeah. draws and we and we'll be you know sufficiently far away from Fulham to to stay up so i'm not really that bothered about this game against chelsea or the the game that follows against barnew because they're not the ones we should be targeting three points from so i'd rather we keep the keep the players that we can keep fit fit and attack a different game later on I it's amazing how quickly things can change just like and, and just in terms of, it's not like we're suddenly a, a club that's going places or anything, but just a couple of results and, and now relegation really does feel quite far away. I mean, it would be, yeah. it'd be different if Fulham and West Brom were breathing down our necks, but they're, they're not. It's not working out for them. Fulham are playing all right, but they're not getting the results. And Allardyce at West Brom, it's just not really worked out. So... Yeah, I think my main hope for the rest of the season is just if we can be safe with sort of three or four games to go and just see players like Elliot Anderson coming in, having a little bit of a run, that's sort of, that's all there is to really get excited about. But it would also be nice not to have, because we did have last season a situation where we ended up pretty much safe with about 10 games left. And I take that, and now, that led to a lot. Yeah, yeah, but it also led to a lot of bad performances, a lot of bad football. Mm. We were sort of crap. So it would be nice to, to have to just not not look downwards and instead look upwards and just yeah. see how well we can do. We I think we'll, still we're going to finish top half. You never know. You we never could do, but I think half. honestly, we're going to we're going to end up roughly where we are now, and. That I mean, give, given we went on a on a an horrendous run, um, that's fine for this season. Fuck it, it's yeah. it's another credit season to, in the bag. Credit to Steve Bruce for turning it around. All right, um, <laughs> so, uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, uh, Dave Watson. <laughs> thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Dillon. <laughs> thank you, and thank you to you, the new customer. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? 
and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.